Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Access Show. Our guest today is someone I have known for over 40 years. And we were 18, 19 when we first met. Baby. Now I look back, we were baby. And we reconnected last year, and it's been exciting to reconnect because our journeys have been very different. Our lives have been very different. And we reconnected in a way that was a little bit unexpected. I'd like to introduce you to Mary Wong. Mary is Optimal Life Coaching. Mary and I met way back 40 years ago in Rocky Base Hospital as student nurses. And obviously neither of us do it anymore. But Mary, thank you. And it's lovely to have you at the show today. It's great to be here, Narelle. Thank you so much. Wow, 40 years ago. What colour's your hair? Uh, It comes out of a bottle. I'm not going to admit (laughs) any of that pale (laughs) colour. And considering when we met, we both had dark brown hair. Mine was brown, yeah, mousy brown. Mine mine was really dark brown, curly. Actually, it's curled with the lair, but you can't have everything. Mary is the director and owner of a couple of businesses, but today we're really talking about the business called Optimal Life. Now, Mary has, and I met Mary through a networking event. Mary does business coaching and training, and the basis of everything that Mary does is about communication. But first up, I want to ask you, Mary, tell us a bit about what's happened in the last 40 years. Oh, goodness. How long have you got? <laughs> I, left, I left nursing. I left nursing when I had a very non-empathetic nursing administrator who was a nurse herself hit me with, well, if I had a dollar for every nurse that ever told me that she was going through a hard time, I'd be rich now. Just get on with it. And at the time, my dad was terribly ill. We didn't know if he was ever going to walk again. I was having some serious relationship issues. I had like, you know, you just, there was a laundry list of things going on for me and the empathy just wasn't there. She couldn't have given a a rat's patootie about what was going on for me. And I went, wow, that is not nursing. How, How can a nurse be that lacking in empathy? interestingly enough stepping forward now where I work in the space of leadership I look back on it and go it wasn't actually the fact that she was a nurse who wasn't empathetic that hit me what it was was she was a leader who was not empathetic and that was far far more important because to me having empathy and caring for the people around you is the biggest part of leadership I agree there. And I actually, when you said that, I had about four names came to mind straight away. We won't mention names, but one day. It wasn't in Rockhampton, I have to say. It wasn't wasn't one of the rocky ones, although there were a few of them there. There were a few of them that, yeah, I, yeah. And it was the same thing, a few that I ran into up there. Definitely no empathy and very little leadership. Yes. Mm. Well, that's the way things were back there too. We weren't, mm. 
so switched on um, in leadership. We didn't, the leadership's come a long way in the last 40 years. There's a lot more studies, all the Daniel Goleman stuff and all of the emotional intelligence stuff and, and conversational intelligence stuff that we work in in the field of leadership has been developed in that time. So the people who were in that leadership space back there, the only thing they had to learn from were the people who modelled for them. And yeah. they were things like, you know, nursing administrators and uh, nursing superintendents who you were terrified of because they were like dragons they breathe fire <laughs> you, yeah, know, you and I both did. had the same matron when we when we oh, were there yeah. and then she breathed fire and we it's were terrified so of her absolutely we terrified of her I, I remember being called to her office and I could barely squeak yeah <laughs> just was so that's, scary yeah and that's I, what leadership was back then yeah we didn't know any better we and they didn't know any better and that's, and that's one point. of the reasons one of the reasons I love working in the field that I work in now, because with my coaching and, and all of that that I do, I do work always in that space of leadership in helping people step up and be recognised as an authority and be that person yeah. who guides and assists yeah. in that space of leadership rather than that person who squashes and terrifies because you get so much more by being that guide and assistant. So what... What are the aspects of leadership that you think are the most important? Empathy is is huge. Empathy yes. is very, very important. Having an understanding of what other people are going through. Mm -hmm. um, being in that space of uplifting and empowering the people around you rather than directing them in a way that makes them feel controlled or coerced. If you uplift and empower and have those people feeling like they have some autonomy in their own right and they have ownership of what it is that they're doing and working on, it makes all the difference to the outcomes that you have as a leader. It's so very important. Being aware to their needs and not assuming what their needs might be simply because you have an idea in your mind about what something might be. No. We can never assume around what people need. We have to ask that question and be prepared to really listen. Yeah. So communicating very well is extremely important in your ability to lead and your ability to be that person who runs, whether it is a your own business or someone else's business, whether it's in a corporation or in that space of entrepreneurship, doesn't matter. We are all in that business of leadership as we make our way through that journey. Yeah. And even as a parent, even as an everyday citizen, yeah. there are leadership moments. Every person is a leader. They may not realise it, but every person is a leader in some aspect in their life. And all of these sorts of behaviours are absolutely pivotal to having good leadership. Actually, it's a really good point, the fact that you say everyone is a leader at that, that time, you know, at some time in their lives. And when you look at the factors that you talked about, empowerment, communication, empathy, and don't make assumptions, they are four very powerful tools that a lot of leaders don't seem to have a lot of strength in, or they may have a lot of strength in one area, but not in others. I know when I look at 
um, say areas like in obviously in my sector, in the disability sector where I work, you can see the good leaders really do listen. There are a lot of average leaders. And the interesting thing about a lot of those average leaders is they generally do make assumptions. Well, making assumptions is one of the biggest problems that all of us have. We all do it. We all make assumptions. It's it's learning to catch yourself when you're making one. Yeah. It's one of the biggest breakers of good relationships, the biggest destroyers of trust, of, of strong friendships and relationships is making an assumption just assuming and and when you make an assumption you make up a story in your head about what's going on so whenever something happens that you're not sure about the first thing to do is to get curious not to assume what's going on get curious ask the question hey what's going on here I'm a little bit confused by this you know this has happened and then this happened it's made me feel a little uncertain about what's going on. Can you help me to understand? And that's a that's a really strong, powerful question. Can you help me to understand? And it is such a powerful one that you get that person. I shouldn't say but. I don't like the word but. I would prefer to use however. And when, <laughs> and yeah, when you get that person that has such a fear in them that they've made these assumptions, and a lot of assumptions are based on fear it could be fear of not knowing fear that they're going to say employ someone that can't do the job fear of it could be anything how do you teach people to control that fear because if they can control the fear maybe they won't make the assumption yeah usually comes from a lack of education Mm -hmm. if somebody doesn't know about something they become uncertain and uncertainty leads to fear. When when they're then in that situation of uncertainty, they become fearful. How is this going to impact me? What's going to happen to me here? I don't know. And I'm scared of it because I don't know what to do. So for me, it's really about educating. If we spend our time educating people and make sure that people understand these situations that they're in, whether it be educating them around how to ask the good question when they're in a space of uncertainty so so that they get the information that they need and then don't have the fear anymore or whether it be around the background that they need, which is what you do with your digital access information. It's helping people understand so they don't have to be scared of how do I communicate with that person digitally who has this, this problem, whatever the problem might be, with their... Uh, functionality of their body that 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 something in their body doesn't function at that optimum range that you know we'd all like to have (laughs) and we can't be in control of those things we can't be in control of those things so if we have an idea or an understanding about what it is for that person how that what that person's needs are how that person can then access what they need then we've we've already reduced our fear of how to communicate with that person it's so important it is and it's i I, yeah it it really comes down to breaking those things into the small chunks isn't it really looking at the fear and saying well what is it i'm afraid of or what don't Mm. i know and then breaking it into the smaller chunks again well how am i going to deal with this what is the best way what is where do i go to find out the information and that's often a big one because sometimes the 
the assumption that you're making, as you said, it's based on lack of education and lack of knowledge, but sometimes it's where do you go to find out the information as well? So really we're looking at a problem-solving skill as well, aren't we? Yeah, well, it is. It's about understanding that when there's a problem, you need to get to the bottom of it and yeah. find out what's behind it rather than just emotionally reacting to the problem. Yeah. And, you know, that's a basic premise of leadership as well. It's like don't get caught up in the emotion of it, get to the bottom of it, find out what's going on, and then you can rebuild whatever it was from there. So rather than going, oh, I'm scared, or I'm affronted or I'm angry or whatever else it is, go, oh, I'm noticing a reaction in my body because that's what happens when we get emotionally caught up is we notice yeah. that there's a reaction in our body. You know, our blood pressure goes up, our face goes red, whatever yeah. else it is, our head might start aching. And then we go, mm, okay, what's going on there? What's behind this? Why am I feeling that way? And in that moment of going, what, what's going on here? We'll recognize, oh, I'm I'm fearful or I'm angry or whatever it is, all right? Why? <laughs> it's that get curious about it. Why am I angry about this? Why is this bothering me so much? And, you know, when using that example at the start, if I had at that time had the skills that I have now with this, I would have probably gone, mm, okay, why is this bothering me so much? It's bothering me because she's lacking empathy and her behaviour doesn't isn't in alignment with what I see nursing as. And my response to her would have been maybe a little different. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it wouldn't have been because that was that moment where I just went, you know what, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm out. I'm that's it. I'm done. And um, you can have my resignation. And she went, Oh well, you haven't resigned until you've gone to see the matron. You need to write a letter for that. I said, Great, give me a piece of paper. Wrote the letter. I went, Fine, I'll go out and give it to her now. Knocked on the door. Went, Here you go. Here's my resignation. Come out. <laughs> And isn't that I don't, funny? I don't, I don't act that quickly generally in life. Yeah. <laughs> but in that moment, I was so done. Yeah. And, and it's funny, isn't it? And, and those pivotal moments really do change your life so drastically, don't they? Because at the time it was just you're leaving a job. But everything that's flowed from that has got you to the point now where uh, for those that don't know, Mary's been the membership engagement officer for the BX Network for a while, for over 18 months, which involved her doing a lot of extra work. She is in the Power Talk group as a... Yeah, Power Talk Australia. I'm actually the yeah. national president of Power That's Talk. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I've done remember. that a while. done yeah. that a few times. Um, I, yeah. So I, I, I went from... Nursing and midwifery, I then went to blood collecting for years. And then from that, I went to um, actually <laughs> won a fashion awards and um, just doing it for fun and ended up yeah. running my own fashion business and bridal oh, business wow. for about 15 years. Went and trained and studied in fashion, needlework of yeah. a different kind, I said. Mm -hmm. um, trained and studied in fashion, gave that up after my then two-year-old decided to cut a wedding dress in half four days out from when I was delivering it. Oh, um, I did. Long story short, I did completely remake that wedding dress in four days wow. and didn't sleep for four days, but I got the wedding dress done <laughs> and, and she was happy. <laughs> so yeah. that's all good. But that was the moment where I went, yeah, no, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. It's not going to be conducive to a healthy life. Then I had my second child. Then I got severe postnatal depression after the second child. And that led me 
you know, a longer therapy route where after that, um, then decided that I wanted to go and study counselling so that I could help other people. Studied counselling, so I'm not just a coach. I have a counselling qualification as well. Studied counselling, had no plans whatsoever to ever study coaching because I'd had a coach tell me way back then when I was in severe depression that all I needed to do was snap myself out of it by driving at speed down the highway with the windows open and the music blaring, which is definitely good, not good advice for mm. somebody who was actually feeling suicidal. It's really yeah. quite dangerous. Anyway, um, and that person was a coach and I went, that's such bad advice. Coaches don't have a brain. That was my immediate assumption about coaching. Yeah. So here's where, here's where assumptions come in, right? Then from there... Um, studied business so I could you know work on setting up my own business not not as actually planning to work on other people's businesses with it mm. studied business got my own business up and running and then I was going in as a leader in this national organization and I went I need to learn something about leadership <laughs> so I studied this uh, leadership coaching and mentoring qualification so I saw the leadership and the mentoring but I didn't really register the coaching bit in the middle until the first module, which was all about coaching, and I'm sitting in a classroom going, no, I don't want to study coaching. <laughs> so what was your level of assumption then? What was your level of fear at that moment? Because really, Pretty you're bad. talking about an assumption say. that you'd made. Absolutely. I'd made this really strong assumption. And mm. in fact, the long and the short of it was that it was a perfect fit for me. And it was where I really should have gone you know, quite early on in my career, but I didn't because it fitted me so well. And it and what I've been able to bring to coaching for my clients has been so powerful. Um, from there, I did, I've done a whole lot of extra communication and leadership type qualifications um, and certifications and so forth that I'm able to bring my clients. So it, and it, it it's become, and, I, and I've also uh, written several books and I'm now book coaching as well because that's also part of the leadership journey is to establish yourself um, within your space, within your, um, within your industry as an industry specialist. So one of the best ways to do that is to write your book and yeah. get your book out there. So I've also published eight books of my own. Uh, so no, like it's it, there's there's been lots going on in that period of time so you yeah. did ask for the the whole journey that's yeah. basically the whole journey um but from there I've also done a lot of speaking a lot of educating a lot of work in that space of communicating with audiences whether that's one-on-one -on -one audience or a large audience I've um, spoken internationally I've done a whole lot of other things in that space and I've had to deal with um, a range of um, levels of capacity for people within the audience as far as their physical capacity capabilities lay. So there's been um, lots of opportunities for learning and growth and lots of times when I've had to put my assumptions aside <laughs> and ask the question and say, what's the best thing for you in this moment? What's the, what, what's the best way that I can serve you in this moment so that you're able to take on the information that I'm sharing here and in places like workshops for example if you're running a workshop and you have someone who's visually impaired they can't necessarily read your slides yeah. 
So you have to be aware of that sort of thing. And one of the things, so in my in my journey throughout here, I've also had a bit of a journey with osteoarthritis. I had very bad knees and for the best part of 15 years were, had limited mobility. I, thank God, finally got my new knees March last year and I now walk very easily and I can do stairs and I can do things that people my age normally can do that I wasn't able to do for the last 15 years. And in that space of what I wouldn't necessarily call disability, but it was limited mobility, I got to experience what it was to be somebody who had a physical issue and wasn't able to be provided for. Because I, I wasn't disabled, I was in that in-between space. I wasn't yes. legally proclaimed as disabled. Um, I couldn't ask for a disabled seat. I couldn't, none of those things were allowed, were available to me. But I remember going to the Commonwealth Games at the Gold Coast to the yeah. swimming and we walked in with our tickets and they said, oh, yes, that's up there. You have to walk up those stairs there. And the staircase was almost vertical. And there were at least a hundred, a hundred stairs. And I went, I'm going to hope in hell of doing that. Like I, I, I'm flat out doing 10 stairs. Yeah. I definitely can't do that many. And she looked at me and said, well, why didn't you get a disabled ticket? And I said, well, I'm not disabled. I can't, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to buy that ticket. And so I had to stand there and there was this big scene of needing to explain to this girl. And then she had to call someone and someone else had to, because you couldn't just, take the lift there was a lift there for anyone who had a disability but because I didn't have a disabled ticket I wasn't allowed to use it I'm like there are people with all sorts of different levels of ability you feel in that moment when you were standing there how did you feel like an ant I felt like an ant I felt like I was about to be crushed by someone's heel it it just made me feel so small and I was embarrassed and I was you know, I, I wanted to just burst into tears. I wanted to storm off. I was angry. I was, and there were so yeah. many different emotions going on for me. Mm. And I knew that, the and I was frustrated as all hell. Yeah. And my husband, bless him, was saying, oh, can't you just try? And I'm like, hey, you know that I can't do that. Yeah. And then, you know, when you say I can't, because this is the other thing in the coaching industry, there's a lot of coaches who go, Oh, now, you know, that's only in your mind. Of course, you can do that. You know, yeah. you just, you, you've got this mindset of you can't. Of yeah. course, you can't. Yeah. And I was like, no, I actually am aware of my capacity physically. Mm. And this, that's not a, it's, not a, it's not a mind thing. <laughs> yeah. And this is what's quite interesting because I know for myself, I know what I can and I can't do. And we're, we're going to Italy in October. And Someone said to me, oh, what limitations are you putting on yourself now? And I said, well, I'm not putting limitations on. I'm just choosing to do things that I know I can do. Mm. And there's a difference. Mm. And I, I know if it says, you know, you're going to climb a vertical, no, I'm not. That's not going to happen. You know, if I've got this that activity. Behavior yeah. Thing, right? yeah. <laughs> That's it. What's reasonable behavior with the capacity that you have? Mm. And it's not, it's not holding yourself back. There is oh, there is a difference. There is a very big difference between holding yourself back and having the capacity, the physical capacity to do something. And at that time I didn't have that physical capacity. Now I'll happily run up those stairs. And this I is mean, it. I'll be 
breathless, <laughs> a bit gasping, but I would happily do it. And then you get up the top and go, yay, I did it. Not a problem. I'm done. So you and I go to the Normanby Hotel regularly, right? Oh. And there's that awful staircase that yep. about I think it's about 18 stairs or something. Yep. And it's quite terrifying. Oh, it is. And I watched I watched you walk down those stairs the other day with, with Rocket going down those stairs with your guide dog. And I was like, wow, you just blow me away. And, and I'm, I'm actually walking down them thinking, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. But, you know, it's perception, oh, isn't it? It is. And, uh, you know, I was watching you going, yep. Yeah, you're amazing. You you just go, right, I'm not holding back. I'm going to do this. I know I have everything in place to do it and I will do it. But if that had have been a situation where you knew that your dog didn't know what he was doing or that, you know, something else wasn't right for you, if you had a dodgy knee that day and couldn't do those stairs, you wouldn't have done it because exactly. you understand that there are things that don't make sense to do, right? That's it. Exactly it, Mary. Mary, I want you to think about this. You walk into a room, okay, you don't know anyone there. You're there to share some information. There may be someone with mental health issues, someone with hearing impairments. There may be someone like me that's very obvious. There may be three out of all that room that are normal. What are the tactics what are the strategies that you can say to people to use to ensure as many people as possible get the message what what techniques mm. would you use because I know you do this all the time how do you do it so there are some things that you should do anyway mm. whether you know who your audience is or not and that's things around speaking clearly enunciating clearly projecting your voice so that it's clearly heard by everyone in the room, making sure that you, you're watching your audience because when you watch your audience, you can see their faces. You mm. can tell if they can hear you or not. You can tell if they're getting what you're talking about or if it's, if it's outside of their understanding. Just by watching that audience and having empathy to where they sit as you're sharing something, you'll, you'll notice Ah, someone didn't get what I said then and you're able to go back over it or deliver it a different way because you can see that someone in the room just didn't understand or you might even ask a question to get a response from the audience so that they they let you know where they're sitting at so it might be something as simple as um, does everybody get where I'm coming from with that has anybody here never experienced this uh, or you know have you all experienced this so you want to do it in a way that doesn't embarrass your audience. Yeah. It's really important that you are um, aware to their emotional and, and social needs so that you're not, you know, because if people aren't sure and they're scared of putting their hand up and going, I didn't, I didn't really get that, what you can do with that person by seeing that they're, they're not sure because you've seen on their face is you give them that opportunity and go after it's over, just go, guys, I'm really happy to talk to you about this. Come see me. If there was anything that I talked about that you didn't quite get, come talk to me. Have have a couple of minutes with me afterwards and we'll have a talk about what it was. Um, things like when somebody in the audience asks a question or gives an answer to a question, I will nearly always repeat what they've said because from where they're sitting, 
And if they're not a speaker anyway and aren't used to projecting their voice well, quite often there's other people in the audience who didn't hear what they said. Yeah. Repeating it and saying it more clearly than they did can be the thing that helps the audience hear and understand. That might be, so Jenny over here just asked da, da, da. So yeah. what I'd say, you know, and that's that's just how you do it without creating a situation where it's, oh, so those of you who are hearing impaired in the room, that's not necessary. Yeah. We don't have to point somebody out. We don't have to make them the focus of attention. Like if you have a hearing and you know you've got a hearing impaired person in the room, you make sure that you're a bit closer to them. Yeah. You make sure that, you know, you're speaking really clearly for them. And in a time when you've given everyone an exercise to do, you might even pop over to them and go, how are you going? Is there anything you missed that you want me to tell you? Or something like that, just to make sure that they're understanding and catching what you're talking about. Um, same with the, the the visually impaired people. You might provide for them the slides, depending on what level of visual impairment. You might have slides printed out that they can yeah. actually see in front of them rather than having them sit try and look yep. at the board you might read now this is it's really interesting this one because in a lot of our training we say don't just stand there and read your slides to people yeah. because you know that's that's just showing you that's not being respectful of your audience's mm. ability to read but here's the thing not everybody can read <laughs> whether it's through visual impairment yeah. whether it's through dyslexia yeah. whatever there are lots of reasons why people can't yeah. read a so you might actually read what's on the slide yeah. now when I say that I'm going to put in a disclaimer here you're not going to make your whole presentation reading from slide after slide after slide with nothing in between yeah. do not do that it is the most boring terrible presentation yeah. you could ever do don't do it but if you read what's on the slide is it well let's just take a moment and read that slide together and you might read it out and let everyone, because it's important that we take in that bit of information. Let's read it together and really own, take ownership of what's on there so that everybody in the room is learning that and has that ability to pick up what's there, regardless of their physical capacity for reading. Mary, some really great tips. I, I appreciate that. And particularly the reading one, because I have been in, uh, meetings and webinars where they have read everything verbatim mm. and then I've been in ones where they've read nothing and you're completely out of context you don't know what's going on so it's it's a good point what you've said there what's one final tip what's a merry tip that no matter what applies it is all about the audience mm. and when we make assumptions about who our audience is then we really defeat ourselves in our capacity to deliver for them so never 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 make those assumptions ask the question get curious and ask the questions so I guess the tip might be that if you have an option of asking the question ahead of time, whether it's the event organiser or whether it's a way you can sort of meander through the room first and get a feel for the crowd, ask the question. Find mm. out if there's anything particular that you need to address in your delivery and 
give yourself the best opportunity to deliver an excellent presentation. Give your audience the best opportunity to receive that excellent presentation. To me, that's speaking leadership in action. And it's a great tip. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, Narelle. Thank you so much. I've always enjoyed chatting to you. Mary, how can people contact you? Uh, optimalcoaching.com.au is the easiest way. You can also find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, all over the place. <laughs> so my business is actually called Optimal Life Solutions, but mm -hmm. Optimal Coaching is my website. So you can find me, look me up, I'll be there. Wonderful. Thanks for your time, Mary. Thanks for being on this episode. And this is an episode of Digital Access Show, which is all about communication, digital accessibility, usability, and devotion to the cause. Subscribe, like, share, and we'll see you at the next show. Thanks again. <music>